This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. These are a few of my favorite things. So I don't even know where that song came from. I think uh, The Sound of Music was a Rodgers and Hammerstein hit from the 1930s. We're starting a new series. I think this is going to be every Saturday. Every week, I'm going to list a different category and list my 10 favorite things or 10 things that are among my favorites in that category. And the key is this is not just some self-indulgent list of this is what I like and I don't know what anyone else likes. I want to explain why I like these things. Just to mention, here are some of the categories, books, podcasts, movies, entrepreneurs, habits, games, 10 ideas for my idea list this month that I like the best, 10 businesses that I wish I could start, 10 of my favorite investors, 10 life lessons that I've really learned hard this year, and on and on. I'm not just going to say, oh, Star Wars is my favorite movie and Schindler's List and and this. I'm not just going to list, but I'm going to explain what did it mean to me? How did it improve my life in a very practical way? And not only that, how do I think other people could benefit from the ideas that I learned from these things? So for instance, if poker is on my list of favorite games, what are the lessons from poker that I actually apply on almost a daily basis to improve my life. Or if Schindler's List is my favorite movie, you know, and this is gonna sound weird, but what practical lessons about life did I learn that I actually use? When people give self-help stuff, it's not really practical. If you say, don't sweat the small stuff, that's all great and everything. And it's inspirational for three seconds to listen to someone say, oh, don't sweat the small stuff. It's not really a big deal. We're just a a tiny little dot on the universe. That's great. I intellectually get it. But when it comes to in practice, if like the IRS sends you a letter and someone says, don't sweat the small stuff, man, don't even worry about it. It's just a letter from the IRS. Are you kidding me? That's a letter from the IRS. I might be going to jail. Like it's useless when people give you like bland advice that doesn't have real practical steps for how to do that. Like if someone says, oh, you got a letter from the IRS, I think you need a pretty strong horse tranquilizer. That's pretty practical advice. I'm not recommending that by the way, but that's an example of practical advice versus, oh man, don't sweat the small stuff. So, or if someone just says, you know, eat well, what does that mean? Okay. I could try to eat well, but when there's a nice bag of potato chips, truffle flavored, I might consume it. So what can I practically do to eat well? Like what's a tip? So anyway, but these are not just things like that. It's like, what did I learn from uh, my favorite podcast? What have I learned from my favorite entrepreneurs? I'll just give you a sneak peek into that list. It includes everybody from Mark Cuban to Richard Branson to Jim McKelvey, Sarah Blakely, Naval Ravikant, and even Gary Vaynerchuk. So there's people you learn from all, no, you don't have to be a billionaire to be a great entrepreneur. In fact, some billionaires got lucky and some people who made $3 million on a business are the best entrepreneurs out there. There's a lot you can learn from everybody. This is a series that's gonna be every Saturday. What would be great is you tell me some categories you're curious about and interested in or tweet to me or message me some of your 10 favorite things and we could have a discussion about it or, or join the choose yourself Facebook group 
and list some of your favorite things. Again, this is a, a series every Saturday. Give it a try for a couple Saturdays. They're going to be hopefully short podcasts. I always say that, and I never quite succeed at that. You know, the first one, which is going to start in a few minutes, is basically 10 practical life lessons that were important to me this year and helped me get through all the ups and downs of this year. This has been a tough year for, for society. Obviously, there's been some good things. Imagine when you're a kid, it's a snow day. You're very happy. Like, oh, I don't have to go to school today. This is great. And you call your friends, no school. We could all watch TV, eat whatever we want while our parents at work. But the reality is it's like we've had kind of a snow day for the past eight months. We're still on our spring break that started in March. And on top of it, there was a death-filled pandemic that now they say, I don't know why they say this. There was news out last week, this coronavirus causes erectile dysfunction and baldness. It wasn't enough that it causes death. Maybe they're trying to figure out, okay, well, we re that wasn't enough to get people to wear masks. But if you tell them they're going to have erectile dysfunction, they're going to wear masks. But this is neither here nor there. My favorite things, the first one will be 10 life lessons I've learned. And again, practical. It's not a, it's not a good enough um, life lesson when someone says complaining is draining. Well, guess what? I'm still going to complain when things go bad. What is a strategy I can use that's practical that we can all use and learn from? And I hope some of the things that I've learned are beneficial or interesting to others. And even if you don't listen to my, the life lessons that are particular to me, maybe it gives you ideas about what's been important to you this year. And I'd love to hear it and share that with you. You know, maybe at some point I'll do a, a my favorite things interactive where we can all talk to. I think that would be a good idea. Jay is listening, so he will note that down. Anyway, here is the the first one, 10 life lessons that were really important to me this year and really practical. So here we go. So one thing I realized is on my list of 10 life lessons that were really important to me and really practical for me this year is something that I've talked about in the past. And I'm going to try not to talk about things that I've talked about in the past, but this one's critical. It's overpromise and overdeliver. So when you have to do a task, don't just do the minimum and wait for the pat on the back. Go above and beyond and create content that's incredibly useful and really helpful to people. Or if you have a task at work, don't just do what the, the three things the boss says. Do the three things the boss says. Do them well. Do them faster than he expects them. And even do more if you can. So I call this overpromise and overdeliver. I've written about it before. I've talked about it before. So I apologize. But it's important because in this series, I could do a podcast about each one lesson. I could do, like, for instance, when I do my 10 favorite movies, I could do an entire two hour podcast on just what I've learned from Schindler's List. But I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna take the easy way out. I wanna be concise in what I'm saying. And I wanna do 10 movies and lessons I've learned from them. So I never take the easy way out because this is how, I think this is how you, you stand out. And I mean, there's a great example right now. I'll just give practical examples too. So I had this idea 
for Charlemagne the God, who's a radio host. Uh, he's got millions of listeners. He's been on my podcast before. I've been on his show. I was listening to one of the interviews he did, you know, it was political related. And he mentioned this phrase that I really loved called, we have questions, meaning he wanted to ask questions to this political candidate about what that candidate's gonna do about, you know, Charlemagne's community, in which is, in you know, in part, African-Americans. He didn't get a chance to ask his questions, but I remember that phrase, we have questions. And I wrote to Charlemagne and I said, that's such a, that's like a rallying cry, that phrase. This could be a real political voice for you. How about you write down what those questions are and maybe some answers, and that's a whole book for you. And he's like, okay, let's, what, do you, what are you thinking? Like, what are some of the questions? And so we just riffed and brainstormed. We wrote a uh, hundred emails back and forth. And now, and this is the benefit of sharing ideas and over-promising and over-delivering on those ideas, not just telling someone an idea, but really thinking. And, you know, I came up with questions. I came up with answers. Charlemagne riffed on who we could ask these questions to. So all these great African-American leaders and intellectuals and so on. And now we're doing this amazing book together that Amazon is basically sponsoring and and they're really working hard at it. I'm working on it this weekend, for instance. That's an example of when you over-promise, over-deliver, and when you share idealists, because that came out of an idealist I did, amazing things could happen. This might be the best-selling book I ever work on, and it just came from an idealist and inspired by Charlemagne. So I'm really grateful for Charlemagne and Amazon for including me, because I told them over and over again, you don't have to. This is your ideas. I'm just sharing them with you. But that's an example of overpromise and overdeliver. It doesn't succeed every time, but when it does succeed, you're having success that nobody else is having. Nobody else in the world is doing this. So anyway, that's an important life lesson. I'm gonna just go through these because again, I could give you a thousand examples of that, but I think you got it. I think I got it and I wanna move on. You know, like I could talk about 1% a day uh, but I've written about that and spoken about that a, a gazillion times or or the daily practice, which I wrote about in Choose Yourself, which by the way, is still really important. Like you can't change yourself. You can't make a lot of money. You can't find your passion in life if you're not taking care of the foundation, which is physical health, emotional health, and so on. I guess what's important, so I will make one aspect of this part of this list, which is that the reason these things work the reason why it's great to have a passion, the reason why it's great to do a daily practice, the reason why it's great, for instance, as part of a daily practice to sleep eight hours a day, unless you're Jocko who sleeps four hours a day, the reason why it's important to be around people you like is not for the obvious reasons that you think. Sure, it's great to be passionate about your work. That's enjoyable. But the real reason it's important to be passionate about your work is to conserve energy. So if I have to do something, if I have to play tennis, for instance, if I wanna be the best in the world at tennis, it's better to have a lot of energy than to do something where you don't have a lot of energy. Cause then the people who have more energy for something are gonna basically, it's common sense, are gonna succeed compared to the people who don't have a lot of energy. So think of the things that give you energy. Well, if I'm passionate about learning Spanish, I will expend less energy learning Spanish. Someone who hates learning languages is gonna have to work hard just to get started every day. And it's gonna have to use valuable energy. You build up only so much energy per day 
you're going to have to use valuable energy to get yourself to study Spanish. But if I'm passionate about learning Spanish, it's going to be much easier for me to get started. I will expend less energy. The person who you, who is able to learn the same amount, but use less energy will succeed. So always think to yourself, if I'm about to engage in a task, let's say I'm going to start a business. How can I use less energy than a competitor? We're going to try to, we're going to compete with each other. So I need to build a better business. But if he's, for instance, passionate about it, he's going to expend less energy than I am. I'm going to have to spend all of my energy to do a business that I'm not excited about. Or if he already has a skill set, let's say he's a programmer and he's doing a programming test, he's going to have to spend less energy than I am because I'll have to learn more about programming or manage a programmer. And he just sits down and writes program. Always think in terms of energy. What are your tasks today? And how can you do it in such a way that you spend less energy doing it and still do a great job? So maybe you take a nap beforehand, figure out things that excite you in the different tasks, call up some friends and ask them what they think of the task to get some ideas. And that helps you save energy, find ways, uh, shortcuts to make it easier. Like if you want to make an app, there's things called no code apps where you can make apps without code. So you lose less energy. So anyway, energy conservation, I learned really well this year. So for instance, I've traveled a lot for comedy. So if I go to Phoenix, Arizona, for instance, to do six shows, I've got to travel there. I've got to figure out what to do all day. It's a lot of energy to perform. I stay up late till midnight, you know, or, or later doing these shows. And then I've got to fly back, you know, so flying itself is like, about 14 or 15 hours between going both ways. So that's a lot of energy. So sometimes you have to consider, is there better uses for my energy than this? Even though I love doing comedy, maybe I need to focus on a business. Maybe I need to focus on a book where the same amount of energy, I'll actually finish the book instead of just do six comedy shows in front of 30 people each. So energy is a good lesson. And by the way, the energy thing is why the daily practice is important. It's great to be physically healthy. That's a good thing. But when you're physically healthy and strong, then most things in life require you to spend less energy. If you have a lot of muscles, for instance, you spend less energy lifting a suitcase than if you have no muscles and so on. If you sleep well, then it's easier to do the task during the day because if you're tired, you need more energy to wake yourself up. The point is, I'm talking about the daily practice, but it's from the point of view of why it works is because it saves on energy. So for even the spiritual health component, which involves different ways to avoid regret and anxiety. If I'm doing a task, but I'm worried what everybody, I'm anxious about what everyone thinks of me, that's more energy being spent than if I do a task, but I'm not worried about what people think of me. If everything I do, if I write an article and I'm worried what people will think of me, I have to use so much energy because it's so much, there's a lot of people out there. I have to think about each one. I won't write something good. I won't have enough energy to write something good. So, okay, moving on. Plagiarizing is a great life strategy. Hold on, I'm going to sip my coffee to get more energy for this one. Plagiarizing. Now, that sounds evil, right? It sounds bad. Oh, you can't just steal what someone did or wrote or someone's idea. So Jay, being the diplomatic audio engineer slash producer that he is, suggested the word remix, but I like the word plagiarize. You see this every day. So here's an example of plagiarizing. 
but it's a good kind of plagiarizing. I don't, I don't mean this in a bad way. Let's say you want to write a novel and you love the movie Star Wars, but you don't want to, you don't want to write a science fiction thing. What if you took the exact structure of Star Wars, like boy wants to travel, but family won't let him. Mysterious stranger implies he has a background. His, his family is not who he thinks it is. He potentially has some great powers. He doesn't really, you know, the boy doesn't really like his family anyway that he lives with and he's ready for adventure and he has to save people and he makes new friends and he starts to learn about his secret powers and he starts to learn who his real family is. He also starts to learn who his enemies are because he's out, the mysterious stranger implies he has to save the universe. Well, guess what? I just described Star Wars, but I also described Harry Potter and I described, um, those movies for kids that were about uh, all the children of Greek gods. So did Harry Potter plagiarize from Star Wars? Of course not. But if a structure works really well, it's okay to use that structure with your own ideas. You know, people say there's no original stories out there. That may or may not be true. I don't know. That's an overgeneralization. But it is true that if you take a good structure and story that inspired you, try repeating it in some unique way. So for instance, Google was a great business. Well, guess what? Mail.ru in Russia is the same thing as Google, but in Russia. Baidu is the same thing as Google, but it's in China. They plagiarized Google and, and put one small twist on it, which is, hey, let's do it in another country. By the way, Google plagiarized Overture and had to um, pay $2 billion when Overture sued on the patent. So, you know, this is an ongoing thing. Uh, well, actually in Larry Page, how did he get his idea, which ultimately competed with this other patent who had the same idea? He was inspired by the most important scientific papers are the papers that are cited by other papers. So that's the original algorithm for Google. The biggest pages on Google, the ones that come up first in the search results are referenced by other important pages. And so Larry Page ranks the importance of pages and that's what you see in your Google search results. So he basically plagiarized this idea from the academic community, which has existed for over a hundred years. And he put it into a, he was the first person to put it into a search engine. So plagiarizing works in a lot of cases. For instance, comedy, you don't want to plagiarize someone's joke. But okay, Louis C.K. did a joke about abortion. So stop right there. Abortion is usually a third rail in comedy. And I agree, it's often a very sensitive topic and you don't want to offend anybody. But I watched the way he did it and nobody owns a premise. So you can do a joke about what other comedians have done a joke on. Just don't do the exact joke. That is extremely bad. Don't do the exact joke. So plagiarizing happens in almost every, it happens all the time in business as we just mentioned the most extreme example, which is Google. But obviously, you know, we always think of the iPhone as so unique, but is it really? I mean, Steve Jobs didn't reinvent the phone. It's a phone. It's got all the same technology that is in every other phone. And he just added, he put a unique twist. He put a music player in it. He put a way to play games in it. And the music player, by the way, is exactly like every other MP3 player. It's the combined music players and phones for the first iPhone. And by the way, Steve Jobs is known for plagiarizing. A lot of people accuse him of stealing Xerox's idea. Xerox was the first 
computer company, which I don't even know if it exists anymore, but they were the first computer company to do Windows. And he just took the whole idea and, but he did his own twist on it. So they didn't, couldn't get him on the patent. Was this bad? Was this good? I don't know the answer. A lot of people have said it's bad, but this is what happens in business. It's just Steve Jobs is one of the most high profile, controversial entrepreneurs out there. So plagiarizing it is very powerful, particularly for books where you, you borrow the structure of a horror novel. You know, a horror novel has a very specific structure. A thriller or a mystery has a very specific structure. And a mystery is different than a thriller because there are different beats in both genres. A love story, a Harlequin romance novel has every single one has the exact same formula. Every Harlequin romance author plagiarizes every other one. So uh, that's what I mean by, by plagiarize. Another great example in music, you know, look at the song Stayin' Alive by the Bee Gees. It was one of the best disco songs of the 70s. Well, in the 90s, 20 years later, the Fugees, one of the my favorite rap groups and Wyclef's been on my podcast, they took the same structure of Stayin' Alive and they made a song, We Are Trying to Stay Alive, which has the same beat, almost the same words, but they added some new words and they added a hip hop beat. And it was the number one hit song. Another great example, the Jackson 5. ABC, you know that song ABC? I forgot which song I just heard the other day, which which plagiarized it. I, and I say plagiarized, but I'm putting a, a, a best look on it. Anyway, if you wanna start a task, don't try to be completely original and unique. See what other things have inspired you and see what elements you can use from them. You know, I once wrote a post, four things important for every entrepreneur. And the four things I wrote, and I didn't mention this, but the four things I wrote were very similar to the four noble truths in Buddhism. I didn't have to mention it because for 2,500 years, people have used the four noble truths for various things. And I feel like history and society has focus grouped it. So I wrote a post using this. And because it was such a strong idea that's resonated with people for 2,500 years, the article was a big success. When you have a good idea, power to you, congratulations, you have a good idea. You know what your first task is after you have a good idea? Find a better idea. So everybody tends to say, oh my gosh, this is a great idea, I'm gonna work on it, and they start working on it. Well, it's not that hard to spend another day, another week, even another month, take this idea and say, is there a better idea? Is there something I can do better? So for instance, let's say I don't like Zoom and I wanna make a better Zoom. You know, Zoom has poor quality video, poor quality audio. When there's a big conference, the chat goes by too fast. Zoom's got some basic problems and I would like something better. Well, let's make a better idea. What about something that's very particular for podcasters? And then let's even take a better idea. What if I throw in social media features so I can see right now which podcasts are happening live that I can listen to and maybe even participate in? Or maybe there's podcasters I could follow so I get notified when they start doing a live podcast. Or maybe I can have a virtual reality podcast. So you could have a good idea, but see if you could push yourself to always make it better. I just wanna explain where this idea came from. This is a saying in chess. A big challenge every moment in chess is find the best move. So sometimes I see this a lot. 
I, and I find this, this is a weakness of mine. I'll see a move that's good, that at the end of a sequence, I'll look like, you know, five, six, seven moves ahead. And I'll see, oh, seven moves ahead. I have a better position. This is good. And so right away, I'll make the move. But just take an extra 20 seconds to see, is there something better? What if I do these moves in a different move order? What if I try to be a little bit more attacking at the end of this? Is there something I'm missing? Is there some piece that's undefended that maybe if I do this set of moves that look good, I might come up with a better idea? By the way, that has resulted in so many more winning games for me, just having that philosophy. So you find a good move, and then before you make the move, take a step back, close your eyes, maybe even stand up, take a deep breath, sit back down, find a better move. In a relationship, oh, I'm gonna take my wife out to dinner. She'll be surprised that it's her favorite restaurant. Okay, that's a good idea. What can I do to make it even better? Maybe I'll write her a note, or maybe I'll take the first SMS text that I ever sent her and I'll get someone to frame it or I'll frame it. And in the middle of dinner, I'll give it to her. It's not like the kind of gift you would give for a birthday, for instance, but it's maybe this over, it's, it's over promising and over delivering. And it's a better idea than just going to her favorite restaurant for dinner. So always take a step back, find a better idea. And notice this is practical. This is not like bland advice, like be as smart as you can be. I don't know how to do that, but I do know how to take a step back and think more and push myself a little bit more. You know, it's, it reminds me of what David Goggins told me. If you think you can do a hundred pushups, but then your body is just screaming at you, like I'm in so much pain, please stop. At that point, David Goggins said, you can always do 40% more. And so at any point where you think this is the best possible, or this is the most I can do, you can always come up with a 40% better idea. You can always do 40% more push-ups. You can always find a 40% better move in chess or poker or in business or in some favor you do for people or some way that you market something. So um, anyway, that's that one. Um, here's one that's a little bit uh, negative, but I really realized it in this pandemic. So I wrote in the beginning of this pandemic that this pandemic was an accelerator, that anything that was gonna happen in 10 years is getting accelerated now. So for instance, if Amazon was gonna dominate e-commerce in the next five years, well, guess what? It just dominated e-commerce now. If you were gonna get fired from your job in three years, well, guess what? Unfortunately, you got fired from your job now. If you were gonna get a divorce in 10 years, well, probably having a lot of problems right now that you wouldn't have had if there was no lockdown and pandemic and so on. So what does that mean though? Um, one thing that I noticed in particular is that most of the time people put on an act like, and this could be family, this could be friends, this could be colleagues, this could be bosses. People always put on their best face. They want other people to like them. They want you to like them. They want to either manipulate you or get a favor from you or whatever. And so I'm not being overly pessimistic when I say, during this lockdown, everyone was kind of dealing with their own things. They didn't have time to put on a special face or personality just for you. So I found that really a lot of people I knew were not who I thought they were. And, I, and again, I don't say this in a negative way. It's not like, oh my God, everyone's a fake except me. I was always putting on my best face too, and now I'm not. And I realized that most people I knew 
were actually, and I, when I say most people, not everyone, but you find out who your real friends are and you find out who's really there for you in good times and who you want to be there for as well. It goes both ways. So my note here, just to say it, is um, this life lesson is people are shit in general. And it's really true. Not everybody, but a lot of people I knew. And and by the way, it might be that they were just, they're good to some people, not good to others. But I found that my bar wasn't high enough in terms of who I thought was good and that I wanted to be around. That a lot of people, people who were even friends for decades, just kind of disappointed me. And by the way, I'm not talking about politics or anything, but just how I saw how they treated others or how they dealt with stress or how they dealt with, you know, complicated situations or how they dealt with the fact that some people were suffering during this time and, or even when I was suffering or when they were suffering, you know, you find out who people really are in times like this. But what I realized is that most people are not worth me spending energy on. And I, and I really thinned out or tightened my core group of people that I really enjoy spending time with. And, and your quality of life changes so much when you step up who you spend time with and really thin that out. And that's a very practical lesson for me. You know, another thing is, and this is really important, this life lesson I wrote the note is called vulnerability, but it's also don't be afraid to ask for help. So I've been vulnerable a lot in my writing for many years. Like I'll, I write about when I went broke. I write about when I've been depressed. I write about when I've been suicidal. I write about relationships that didn't work out. I write about being, you know, bullied uh, as an adult. <laughs> I write about a lot of things. But, you know, sometimes it's important to be vulnerable like right now. For my family and for my friends, I always put on a tough face. Like things are great. Don't worry. Things are the best they could ever be. And I try to, this is very important to me, like ever since, you know, my kids were young and I was having a lot of financial problems, I never wanted my kids to be aware of my financial problems. This was very important to me. And they never were. I mean, now they are because they read about or they watch the Choose Yourself. I don't even think they ever read in my books, but they watch the Choose Yourself video series on Amazon. And they saw, oh, daddy was having really hard times even when I was a little kid. I didn't know that. And it's okay for people to know if you're having hard times now. Don't dwell on it. Don't, you know, complaining is draining is the saying. And again, that's not useful advice. But, you know, I have some friends, every time I see them, how's it going? And they'll be like, well, you know, bad as usual. Don't be that person. But if you have very something specific that you need help on, like, hey, feeling a little rundown today, can we reschedule something? Or, hey, having financial, this is something I never did years ago. Maybe I should have, Hey, I'm having financial trouble. Can you help me? I, I once was going to write a book even called the power of ask about how to ask people because asking is very hard for me. And I figured I could research this and write about it, but it was so hard for me. I ended up never writing about it. And you know, that became a whole issue with the advance and everything, but don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable right now, not in a complaining way, but just be factual. Like, this is what's happening to me. Am I looking at it the wrong way? Because often it's the case I'm looking at the wrong way. I'm noticing the negatives and not the positives. But sometimes you need help to, whether it's a therapist or your friend or your spouse, even a coworker or even a stranger on a bus, although that could be weird. Or, or you know, if you're embarrassed by something like, hey, I'm embarrassed by this thing that happened between us. 
And I just want to tell you that. And then you could say, they could say, oh, what are you talking about? I never even thought, or, or they could say, yeah, that was really weird that you did that. Uh, what was going on? And, and, you know, you explain and you can diffuse the situation. So don't be afraid to be vulnerable right now. Just not just about things that happened in your past. Failure porn became almost a genre where everybody started saying, well, when I, 10 years ago, I was, you know, lying in the gutter with a needle out of my arm and now I'm flying a private jet. Like, but that was, you just told me about something 10 years ago. What's going on now that's a problem? Not that I wanna hear your problems, but just be real. The more you could be yourself, and, and again, that phrase is not practical because what is yourself? I'm a different person depending on the situation. But for each situation, the more you don't have to pretend, the less energy you spend. And as we know uh, from our earlier life lesson, figure out ways to always spend less energy and being honest all the time, honesty being another life lesson. Like every time you lie, it's like you split off two alternate realities. Let's take an extreme example. Let's say you're cheating on your spouse. The second you cheat, you, you just split the world into the multiverse. Here's the universe where I'm with one person. Here's the universe where I'm with another person. And that takes a lot of energy to run even one, to live one life, let alone two lives, let alone five lives. So honesty, every time you lie, you split off another life. So honesty uses less energy. I guess there's this theme that energy is a very important life lesson. This is really important. I've talked about this a little before, so I'll only briefly mention it. We're tribal animals, humans. We're, we're the same as, you know, we share 99% of the DNA of chimpanzees or whatever. We're, we're primates and primates live in tribes tribes are organized from alpha to omega there's an alpha male an alpha female an omega male an omega female the alpha male eats the most food gets the most mates and sleeps in the middle of the tribe so that if they're attacked by lions in the middle of the night the alpha male has the best chance for success the omega male you would think it's bad to be the omega male but the omega male actually needs less food doesn't need to worry about being married or having more spouses because they're omega, but they do sleep on the outskirts of the tribe. So they'll be eaten first and they're not good fighters. So there's, there's pros and cons to both. But the con of being the alpha male is that you always have to fight to maintain being the alpha male. The point is, is that we live in a hierarchy. So notice when you're at your work, you know, let's say you work at a company, you start off as an assistant to the assistant, to the manager and, and so on. Then there's a manager, there's a director, there's a vice president, there's a senior vice president, there's an executive vice president, and so on. There's a hierarchy, and you get a title for each hierarchy, just like alpha to omega. CEO is the alpha, and the janitor maybe is the omega, although I would argue the janitor probably has the real power, as is often the case in hierarchies. I kind of found this year, and I've sort of been thinking about this a lot, and I write about this much more in Skip the Line, my, my upcoming book, coming out February 23rd. I think it's very important to diversify hierarchies. So let's say I'm a day trader. Well, the hierarchy is determined by who is making more money. If you're winning more money through day trading, you're going to the top of the hierarchy. And if you're losing money, you're, you you feel you, the neurochemicals are, are created when you're moving up or down the hierarchy. Because again, we're not just tribal animals this past week, we've been this way for 2 million years, primates or more. And so our entire brain and, and body trigger, like when we start moving up the hierarchy, we get dopamine hits. Do something that's moving down the hierarchy, we 
trigger cortisol, which is like the fight or flight hormone. So when I, let's say I'm day trading, this, I used to do this when I was day trading. If I lost money that day, I would switch hierarchies. I would start playing chess because that was a different hierarchy and I can move up that hierarchy to avoid that horrible cortisol feeling. I can counter with the dopamine from another hierarchy. Or let's say I have a bad night doing comedy. Okay, the next day, maybe I'll focus on entrepreneurial activities. And so I'll get the dopamine or, and vice versa. If I have a bad day as an entrepreneur, I'll go out and do a, a comedy show and maybe get a dopamine hit from that. And so by diversifying hierarchies, you what is the key, what is the essence of diversification? It's to reduce risk. So when you diversify hierarchies, you reduce the risk of overstressing yourself. As long as you don't have too much diversification, you can't be an expert at everything, but take three or four things where, oh, my job didn't go so well today. I think I'm gonna read a great book about sports or I'm gonna watch my favorite movie or I'm gonna write a short story or I'm gonna call my best friend from high school that I haven't seen in years or I'm gonna help someone. So let's say on work, I feel like people were just shitting on me all day at work. Well, okay, when I get off work, maybe I'll volunteer somewhere and help people. And this is a good way to diversify hierarchies. So you can move up the hierarchy of charitable doings in your life, even if you're going down, maybe going down a little bit in your work hierarchy. Think about that one. Um, I could talk more about that. It's a very interesting topic and it really works for me. It really, really works. I diversify hierarchies very explicitly about three or four times a day. So today, for instance, I called some friends, I played chess, I'm doing this podcast, I did some writing and I'm doing some comedy later and then I'm gonna hang out with some friends. And, and I recognize it as, I, as diversifying hierarchies. Some things didn't go well for me today, but other things did. If I foc stayed focused on just one hierarchy, I would get cortisol all day long instead of dopamine. Here's another one. Better to have a plan than no plan at all. So a lot of times people say, I just don't know what I want to do with my life, or I just not interested in anything, or I don't, I'm interested in this, but I don't know what I should do right now. They're trying too hard to be, you know, perfectionism is the enemy of progress is the saying, but again, that's a little too general to be practical. So better to have any plan than no plan at all. So let's say you want to start a business and you just don't know, you're, you're frozen because you just don't know how to start. Or let's say you want to write a novel, but you're frozen just because you don't know, you have to write an outline first and it has to be the best outline. It has to be better than every other book ever. No, just write a bad, write a bad outline, right? Uh, uh, do a stupid thing for your business. Like, um, so like, let's say you want to write a thriller. Okay. Um, in the very first scene, I'm just going to riff on this right now. In the very first scene, Jack is retiring from the CIA and somebody is killing everybody in his life. And he doesn't know if this is one of his enemies from a foreign intelligence agency or if it's the CIA because they're trying to pressure him into not quitting because unbeknownst to him, he has a valuable hard drive with all the secrets of the government on it. So, okay, that's the beginning of an outline and it might be a horrible idea, but just write anything, just do anything. And then what happens is your brain starts lighting up, your neurons start firing. And then the next day when you try to make a plan, maybe you make a better plan. It's a muscle making plans. Uh, and so why is this better than, 
having no plan at all, it's because it gets you talking to people. It gets you in the community of people who are thinking about your idea. If you have a business idea, but you have a horrible plan on how to execute it, somebody will tell you, hey, why are you doing it this way? Why not do this way? So a friend of mine was telling me his book idea and his title and his cover, and I said to him that exact thing, your plan is good, but why don't you do this plan, which seems a little bit better? And he's like, hmm, I didn't think about that. And so again, and by the way, this is also a saying from chess. If you're just moving pieces around, not knowing what you're doing, you're going to probably lose. But if you have a plan and your opponent doesn't, and you execute on your plan, even if it's a bad plan, you're probably going to win the game. And by the way, most beginning players don't have any plans. Most beginning entrepreneurs don't have a really good plan. Most beginning writers don't have a plan. Most people who want to get into a relationship don't have a plan. They just hope that it happens randomly. Having any plan at all, even a bad plan, is better than having no plan. I'll close with this. A lot of times I'm envious, and I'll admit it. I don't want to be envious. A lot of times I'll say, oh my God, Tim Ferriss just had Jerry Seinfeld on his podcast. I'm having this whole fight with Jerry Seinfeld. Why won't he come on my podcast? Because I asked him, believe me, Joe Rogan has this guy, has uh, Tulsi Gabbard on his podcast. I'd love to have Tulsi Gabbard or, or Elon Musk on my podcast. And I get a little jealous. And I remember a conversation I had with Ryan Holiday. We were at dinner and we were talking about jealousy and envy. And again, it's bland advice and it's not valuable to say, don't be jealous or when you compare, you despair. All right, but I'm still gonna happen. What do I do? We were talking, we kind of riffed on this idea that imagine you can trade your life for the other person, but you have to do it forever. Kind of like Freaky Friday, but forever. And like they always fix it by the end of the movie. Which reminds me of a Louis C.K. joke. Like they should remake Freaky Friday, but instead of it being a comedy, make it a drama. Like a mother and a son switch bodies and the son, the son who's now his mother is like very unhappy. Anyway, Louis C.K. makes a whole joke about how Freaky Friday should be a drama. But my point is, imagine switching lives with the person you're jealous at of and do you really want to do that forever? And Ryan and I tried to really, we tried really hard. We thought of all the people we were jealous of, and it turned out there was absolutely nobody we really wanted to switch lives with. Like imagine if you say, oh my gosh, to be in the royal family is, God, just watch the crown. To be in the royal family must be incredible. Well, do you want to switch lives forever with Prince Harry? No, absolutely not. I love, you know, my wife and my kids and my lifestyle and where I live. Some things I don't always like about my life, but that's for me to fix. And I would lose all of the things I love if suddenly I was Prince Harry or Richard Branson or, you know, Mark Cuban or Danny Glover or, uh, you know, Jimmy Fallon. Like, I would lose everything I love about my life. And that far outweighs, and I built these th loves over a period of 50 years. So I worked hard for it. And so there's nothing, just because somebody has a billion dollars or someone has a talk show or someone, you know, seems to be happy in other ways, doesn't mean it's good for me forever. So that's a practical thing that is very useful for me whenever I find myself being envious. Like, okay, well, I'm an envious of this quality this person has, but Nobody is just one quality. They're a set of thousands of millions of qualities. You can't isolate one and say, I want that quality. 
would you be that person? Would you trade lives with that person forever? So that's an important life lesson. Again, if you like this podcast, if you, this is going to be a series. I'm going to do it every Saturday. If you like this podcast, let me know in the reviews. It's really great for me when you review. First off, it makes me feel good. It makes me know you're listening. And if, either in the reviews or in Twitter or through email, I'm at altachurchemail.com. You can email me or message me. It would be great if you did on Twitter or in the reviews. Tell me your favorites or tell me categories you'd be interested in. So some other ones I'm going to do are my 10 favorite entrepreneurs, my 10 favorite TV shows, my 10 favorite podcasts. Um, not favorite, like all-time favorite, but just 10 of my favorites. I might have 100 favorites, but these are 10 of them. My 10 favorite book recommendations, even my 10 favorite chess openings or my 10 favorite influencers, Instagram influencers, or my 10 favorite businesses I wish I could start right now that I haven't started or spoken about before or my 10 favorite stocks that I would invest in if I, I don't really do a lot with stocks right now. My 10 favorite ideas from my idealist this week. I write idealists every week. My 10 favorite games. So anyway, and, and it's not just a list. It's what I've learned from them and how they've bettered my life, these particular 10 things. So I think the next one will be 10 of my favorite books that I've uh, read this year and what I've learned from them. And some of them are pretty interesting and I think unique, and people will be surprised at some of the picks. But anyway, I hope you like this. It's a new idea. It's a new series called My Favorites, and I hope to hear from you about it, and I hope this is somewhat interactive where I hear your favorites as well, or try this idea. What have you learned from your 10 favorite X? Thanks so much. Hope you enjoyed it. Write a review. See you soon.